0: Sure.
1: Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of mescal, show of trombone, divinity, Harvard, Evan Meeker. Today's guest is the wonderful director of Vino de Mescal, Rodel McGay, Misty Kalkafin, the powerful German last name. We talk about so many different things, so many different spectrums of philosophy, the facets of life, whether it be divinity, music, parents, career, all of these kinds of things talk about the amazing story of how Misty hooked up with Ron Cooper at Gay and has had a life-changing experience via Mescal ever since. But the main point and one of the reasons it's very important to release this interview now and have this discussion now, and we, I'm going to let Misty talk more about the details of Gnome 199, but there have been many different attempts to either reduce, transform, or or in some sense kind of limit the ability for makers of agave spirits in Mexico to do so and to call it things that we completely understand, such as Recia, Tequila, Mezcal. So I won't get into the details of the bill. There are lots of things to learn about from this conversation, and it was very, very eye-opening for me. This is the thing above anything else that I want everybody listening to take note of. I had one question for Misty. And it wasn't, what was the bill about? What's Noam 199 about? It was slightly about that. But the main thing is that you see so many damn Kickstarters and so many different petitions online. You know, let's get rid of Donald Trump. Let's make Ted Cruz a woman, all these kinds of things that have hundreds of thousands of signatures and kind of somehow have this perceived notion that they are credible, that in some sense, this petition can come to fruition and come true. So, in a way, the internet has kind of ruined this concept of petitions because at the end of the day, there is no result from all of this interaction, all these people signing their names. Now, this is the thing. The Tequila Interchange Project is absolutely at the table with these discussions and they are absolutely influential in making sure the state of Mezcal and other agave spirits are preserved. So, if you could do one thing for me, After listening to this great interview with Misty, that is sign the petition that the Tequila Interchange Project has on the site. I will post the link on Facebook. I'll post the link on Twitter and everywhere else. I was skeptical at first that our signatures, our online imprints would really have that much of a difference. But you know what? Mezcal and us in this industry as consumers, producers, bartenders, we have influence because at the end of the day all this is about is money so let your voice and your passion for Mescal be heard sign this petition because it will make a difference i've heard people complain about others grandstanding on this issue lots of things that are amb- ambiguous hard to understand but at the end of the day let's get together and sign this fucking petition Misty made it very easy for me to understand, and I will be doing so again and again. So, without further ado, everybody, this is a great conversation to happen now, and this is a great conversation with Misty from Delma Gay. I hope you enjoy it.
2: Uh, I mean, Nick Calvary was great. We tasted through a lot of what you're seeing here. Yeah. Some special little bottles that we brought. We might be doing a little special project with them. So. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I we- mean, you no
1: know, no finer group of agave enthusiasts. You talk about Bill. You talk about Bob, Justin came from Justin Elliott. Michael Phillips. The whole whole crew really supportive of agave. in yeah. General. Do you feel like making mistakes in that that venue because it's so dark? Like you can get away <laughs> with shit.
2: Well, I mean, when you're on the clock, <laughs>
1: <laughs> what, what, so that's a good point.
2: <laughs> you're sitting across from Bill, and he's spitting, and it makes me feel like, oh, oh I know. I guess but, I'm supposed oh, to spit now.
0: <laughs> isn't that the?
1: You know, it. I am so. I'm. I'm just. I'm, it's lovely that Bill has persevered, and I, I'm so happy that that he's gotten back to health, and he looks great. I mean, he's lost a lot of weight, and we talked. He was in here a while ago, and. It, can't wait to share that with everybody but like it was a really really touching conversation how close he came to death and like i can't personally know how that feels and in a sense though bill and I, if he hears this like i don't ever of course this is louis ck thing of course i don't want bill to ever succumb to those kinds of health conditions again of course but maybe if bill started drinking mezcal he'd be a superhero right like this is the kind of stuff i think it's horrible it's terrible like you know but it is like so. What do you do? Like, what do you do at the at, at you're sitting at a table with Bill and he's spitting out miscal Well, what first does the of world all, come to?
2: I don't taste everything that I'm tasting. Somebody yeah. on with I pick and choose, right? So that's good. <laughs> you know, when you have a lineup like you have on your floor here with nine or ten oh bottles, yeah. I look at okay at this account, which one or two am I going to taste? Yeah, and then I don't feel so bad about not. That's spitting.
1: fair. That's good. It's yeah. the balance, right? Yeah, exactly. Is it hard? to pick the skew that resonates the most with you yes it's is there one now i you don't even have to answer this but is there one that keeps calling you back that no matter what you would always face no matter what well date, you count.
2: so i go through i go through stages you yeah. know so they're like month, a john
1: john guy yeah, a george so, guy <laughs> <all> so, guys.
2: <laughs> so you know it's like one one month i'll i'll Totally, just constantly be reaching for chichicapa, yeah. and then all of a sudden I'll some because I'm out someplace that doesn't have chichicapa. Mm. I'll try something else, and then it'll remind me of how delicious it is, delicious it is, oh, and then I'll get onto that for a while. Yeah, but the one that you know, I have a hard time separating just. Like how much I appreciate the flavors of every single one yeah. from my experiences with the families. It's hard, right? Um yeah. so because I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to go to Oaxaca relatively frequently mm. and have such a close relationship with the palanqueros, it's really hard for me to like to separate the juice yeah. from the family and my own. It's experiences like who's your favorite
1: kid? Well, exactly. I love all the kids. Like exactly. wait, am I supposed to make a decision? This is horrible.
2: Um, I do think that... Santo Domingo Alvarados will always have a very special place for mm-hmm. me because it was the first Del Maegue village that I went to on my first trip to Oaxaca wow. in two thousand nine, oh, and so I'll yeah. never forget that. You know, like what that day was like and being with them for the very first time. They,
1: how did how do they feel about now having what is essentially like a conduit into the U.S. market? Someone that fights for them.
2: I mean, sometimes I wonder, just even. I, I have taken it on myself because I want them to really understand like what an effect they've had in the spirits community, not just in the United States, but globally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because sometimes I don't think they necessarily understand or fathom. That's the best that, part, right? Like that, know, that humility.
1: They don't know yeah, how, but I think you know who you are.
0: Like,
2: you know. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think they should, I, I really want them to understand how far their art has gone. You know, yeah. I really think that's important. So last year when we celebrated our twentieth anniversary, Man. on the day that Ron founded the company, which is May four,
1: um, Pi, day, Pi day, March 314. Yeah. So um, it was, the, so this the fourteenth was the twentieth. This year? the twenty first.
2: This is oh our twenty
1: first. So last that's year was the twentieth. Amazing. Wow. So he
2: founded the company on Pi Day, and so. We did a, a um, Stigy around the world, essentially. Stigy Vainthe is what we were calling it. Mm-hmm. The 20th, 20th year Stigy. And so I started, I got woken up. I started getting uh, messages, you know, in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah. from like Australia. Yeah, well, it's China, already tomorrow for them. And of they course, were, they want to I celebrate. I just asked people to take pictures and post on it oh, on social amazing. media and everything. And so that I, when I was going back, I was able to look at, say, look, this is them toasting in Japan. This is people toasting, you know, and ask them to hold bottles so I could show the producers. Yeah, like, yeah. They were all celebrating the fact that you've been part, we've all been family together yeah. for 20 years now, you know, That's just to amazing. try and give them a, be, a better idea of the scope of did, what they do.
1: Did you catch a moment? Like I, I I imagine that there's some moment that sets in where they were like, and I always relate like this back to music, but like they they've made it, you know? made it but it but that they're,
2: doesn't that they're the, the humility and like it's i, I don't know it know? probably isn't like that right it's like, not it's just, like i'm that. just doing my thing yeah you know? exactly i think it's more important for them to be able to talk about opportunity yeah. you know I, and for them it's all about opportunity for example the family in santo domingo you know their oldest daughter is now a lawyer in oaxaca oh. city and education is extremely important to our palenquero. so for to be able to offer that to his daughter, to have her be the first person in the village to go to college, right. not just go to college, but to Law become schools, a lawyer. That's, that's amazing. You know, yeah. it's something that he's extremely proud of. And when I was there in February, his granddaughter, uh, Rosa, she wasn't there. I was like, where's Rosa? So strange. You know, she's always yeah. there. And he's like, oh, she's going down to school in Oaxaca a few days a week now. Amazing. And, uh, and she's a teenager. Yeah. So for him, education has been something that he's always valued in his life and really wanted for his children and grandchildren. Mm. And it's an opportunity now that's been made available because his product is selling. And that's really cool. And so I think it's not about we've made it. It's like our family is being able, we're, we're able to do the things we've wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, it's,
1: kind of, it's one of those things like that. It's it's between a rock and a hard place when you have a business, right? Because mm-hmm. do you side with profit over people, which many people do, especially when we talk about just booze in general? Mm-hmm. It's really about this cash grab, uh, retired ex musicians, <laughs> 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 or musicians whose careers are waning. You know,
0: <laughs> which
1: happen, you know which which happens. But but to think about and I've I've and I've never met Ron. Would love to meet Ron. And I've heard like his. God, I, hate, I sound like I hate be saying this, but like his spirit has like infiltrated other people and other places. You know, he has almost literally blessed places that I've been to, and they just speak so highly of him. And so to to think that in a way, you guys, of course, you have to operate being part of Sazerac, and everything, right? But you're there really for the people.
2: You yeah, know? I mean, that's you know, what it feels and- like. Delmage is still Delmage. You know, Sazerac's our importer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Del sorry, sorry, you know, importer, so right. Delmage is Delmage. Yeah, you like know? Sazerac's.
1: I can tell you guys what to do. They're just making sure they can. Bring yeah, it in. yeah,
2: you know, for us, it's a, it's a great way for us to be able to get product to you guys in a timely fashion. is yeah. to have a great importer, right? Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, but you know, is still the vision of Ron. Still run exactly the way he started it, and that yeah. was you know, being an artist, he recognized right, yeah. this is art. And being and spending his life thinking that his art was being underappreciated and undervalued—that was not what he wanted to do yeah. to the artists that he was going to start working with in the world of mezcal. Um, and so that's something that we're very proud of. That you know we're o- we always paying our mezcaleros what they believe their art to be worth, yeah. and you know higher than what the going rate is. You know because Ron didn't want to do that to other artists and. Right. And I love that because that it, provides opportunity, and that's great. It,
1: you know, there. And I, I was just talking to Nate from Avoc, mm-hmm. just a wonderful guy. We yep. talked about this. And that that was like a fucking metaphysical conversation. It was very, very crazy. He's so smart. It was really wonderful. But the thing that I keep r- realizing about most of these conversations, about most of the impetus for the stories, is it's art. An artist does mm-hmm. something. They transition. Their art basically changes forms. You know, whether it's music or art. For a girl, (laughs) (laughs) it is is absolutely the social
2: network, it's always the fucking
1: social network, right? Like, it's it's some kind of split or a guy or whatever. But
2: you know, I think that you know, as far as artists rolling into the spirits world, you know, and especially speaking about Ron, I try to get this point across whenever I'm doing an event, and that is that you know, behind we love the liquid, obviously. You know, we love oh, we wouldn't be here if the liquid wasn't good, Yeah. (laughs) yeah, but behind that liquid is a family is a person you yeah. know and if you lose sight of that that's when you become a company that is making a product based on a spreadsheet
1: yeah absolutely and or a whiteboard right yeah uh. and that
2: that's the last thing we want to be we're always about the people we talk about the del mcgay family so much that people probably are like oh
1: we this, get it you guys are a family <laughs> you know? like but brady it's, bunch it's over very, there yeah. it's,
2: it's very true you sure, know sure. and um and I, I think that's really cool. And I'm really proud to be a part of it. Well, that's brilliant. Yeah. I
1: mean, th- it is at a molecular state. It's about the people. Yeah. Right. And that, that's the stuff. thing. And it's really no surprise that Delma Gay has been so successful. One, because of the vision and kind of the tone and the culture of the organization, bringing on people like yourself, bringing on Evan, right? Like, there's, you guys have this like communal, compassionate nature. You know, it's <laughs> fucking great. It's I love it. And it's contagious to me.
2: Well, I think that you know one of the things that we always say is we're growing as a as a, an organization yeah. is that it has to be the right people, you mm-hmm. know. Like um, we can teach people about mezcal, you know. We can take them to Oaxaca and teach them about mezcal, but they—if they don't understand being a good human and what the <laughs> and what the ethos of the company is, yeah. right? Oh, that's so true. That—that's something that a lot of people in the business world are, are not in tune with, right. you know. It's like, oh, and you can so, put up some
1: number of sales, you know? <laughs> guy.
2: It's like when we hired Evan, right? We were not looking for somebody in this geographic region. We were looking for somebody um more in like new york chicago and yeah. we were getting a lot of great applicants but for different reasons that it wasn't working out and then i came down to work with him here in austin and we just started talking about other opportunities and i was like hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. uh, we weren't thinking about hiring somebody in <laughs> he's texas. blushing in the corner for everybody. <laughs> <that> gets- <laughs> you know we weren't thinking about hiring about somebody in texas but he would be perfect yeah. you know He had come to Oaxaca with me. I saw how he interacted with the families. I saw his appreciation for not just the juice, but the culture and the people who produce it. And that's the most important part to us because once you recognize that, that's the passion that we want to be transmitted, you know? Absolutely. And so.
1: Well, it's a brilliant culture. I mean, it really, I mean, I'm catching just glimpses of it here, but it's so lovely. It's so classy. It's, It's just, it's wonderful. And I feel. Like even just ancillarily, which I'm making that word up, that I, <laughs> that I can be. It's a word. You know, it, 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 I, think it is, I can't spell it Skype. probably, but it, I read it's a word somewhere probably. Are you
2: on Words with Friends? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those two-letter words.
1: <laughs> well, so let's kind of take it back a little bit. And, you know, most of the people, a lot of people I talk to are like these Texans. But I had this recent privilege, I'd call it a privilege, of talking, people, talking to people from the Midwest in the past couple months. To talk to Jr. Makinee, who is from Wisconsin. We get to talk about making a murderer, and I held him accountable for a whole show. <laughs> 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 but poor Jr. right? Like he 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 immediately became the spokesman for the show. Wow. Um, not the show, but the you know, making a murderer. And then Nick Kosovich and I are a couple of from yeah. Bittercube, which Midwestern dudes. Yeah. And I saw this kind of so there's a couple similarities. One, because we're talking about Wisconsin, but two Ira studied world religions, <laughs> which I didn't realize. Like I didn't. He's got the Zenness about him, and I read that about you as well that you studied that. But we'll get to that. How was it? <laughs> Green Bay is a an amazingly like blue. Is it fair to call it, like a blue collar place? Like everybody's really cool, drink a beer, like yeah, working hard. There there's a for lot
2: living. of that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 I'm not. You know. I'm not. But that, but is that a little old bit
2: fashions, <laughs> you know. Ooh.
1: Hey. <laughs> but but actually, to step back, you were saying you actually grew up even outside of Green Bay. You were in Missouri, well, right?
2: Well, I was born in Mexico, Missouri, and then moved back to Wisconsin. My father is from Wisconsin. My father, my mother is from Missouri. Uh, okay. So okay. I was born in Missouri, but then we moved back to Wisconsin when I was in uh, kindergarten. Okay, so pretty yeah. young. Still,
1: yeah. did you folks separate? That's that no. happens sometimes. Okay, cool. No. So that's also <laughs> another still common together, thread. Mind on you. A cruise
2: <laughs> right now, Those retired and on a cruise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where I'd like to be in my 50s or oh, 60s even.
2: Uh, well, they're in their 80s, but <laughs>
1: that's even better. Yeah, right. Well, of I course, so. in my 80s, I want to be on a cruise. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I probably won't wear, wear pants at all in my 80s. I, I'm, I'm weaning off of them now. Like, this is just a nice city <laughs> of you guys that I have them on here. And but it's just comfortable. You know? like the underarm shorts, like you know, no one's going to know. No one's going to see me. So, at any rate, so the, <laughs> Missouri, moving to Green Bay then at that point where folks work or rather moved to Green Bay. Yeah. How is, how is it growing up in Green Bay?
2: Green Bay was great. It just, you know, for me, I, it was a wonderful place to grow up. My oldest sister still lives there and, you know, oh, really? raised her kids there and my, my parents still live there, obviously. um, That was great, but I definitely wanted to, you know, I was ready to move to something bigger yeah. when I, when I. What graduated a, high school?
1: What kinds of stuff in high school were you into? A lot of I've meet a lot of drama people. I meet a lot of music people. Music, science, music. Yeah, about was, which uh, performance? Or um,
2: no, I sang. I played the violin. Oh, I played wow. the piano. I played the organ, and I played the trombone.
1: No kidding. Yeah. Where did this amazing like just rush of musical influence come from? Your folks Or yeah. just.
2: Both of my sisters played instruments. um, And I was the youngest. My sisters were five and a half and eight and a half years older than I was. Oh, wow. And so it was one of those things where I just always wanted to do everything that they were doing. Sure. And so one played... a piano and organ and the mm-hmm. other played violin so I learned all of that and then so I always one up like, them because you played I, I all three. To, I tried to <laughs> one-up them always kind of
1: one so.
2: <laughs> and so I played all of those and then learned trombone as well that's amazing
1: yeah. trombone is not easy it's
2: not easy it but sounds, it was fun man
1: I bet it's fun like yeah. I remember because I was in symphonic band and jazz band Then jazz that band it, is
2: so much fun
1: one of the best experiences of my yeah. life, playing in jazz band I was yeah. the guitarist in a jazz band like I still didn't get girls, but I felt cooler. You know, it was an up, it was like a, an upgrade from sym- symphonic well, band playing saxophone. You know, my
2: nephew is in high school now, and he's a, he's an amazing musician actually, yeah. and he plays um, saxophone in the jazz band. Ooh. so it's been fun to watch him at his performances and the, the girls kind of right? swooning to a certain degree. Does it bring
1: back memories for you at all? Is it no, trombonous? not at all. No, <laughs> you blocked it out, haven't you? trying to get the
2: no i think it was because i was also in marching band so you had to wear those I was just gonna, yeah the weird outfits yeah you know the
1: not, hats not all that so, sexy so strange hats. <laughs> is it that but it, you know what the thing that's really been at least for me that was good with band is it builds a good social circle yeah you know like at least you got some friends like oh yeah you're awkward or not awkward all together <laughs> right like that's yeah
2: I, definitely I mean, who the hell and we took to good trips yes right right we took good trips so
1: you know so you've got this amazing kind of just like collection of, of talent this is natural talent you're playing organ violin so were you in orchestra as well
2: mm-hmm. How, i when once i got to time? high school i got i was more interested in the band side okay, things. Okay. so i went more towards band and then they got me involved in like swing choir and stuff oh, like well. that as well but
1: Do you like singing then as well
2: um, I do, but I've kind of over years of working in really loud nightclubs, I've kind of destroyed my voice. Well, maybe
1: it's you not- got that whole Billy Holiday sexy, <laughs>
2: like,
1: kind of like, gravelly thing. Now going I'm on. a tenor. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a no. I was,
2: I was definitely an alto before, but I'm definitely a tenor. Now. See,
0: that's
1: something. I, you know what? If you do radio, that's actually especially helpful because it's like, well, my voice is like this, but if I've been singing. <laughs> it, it drops like about an octave and a half. It's really, really, really wonderful. So then you're kind of doing the music thing. Was that what you wanted to do in college, or you say like I'm no? I'm I was also with.
2: a gigantic nerd. You know, well, what I, does, I, does that mean? It means I was I excelled academically, and so that's
1: not nerd, nerd <laughs> strum, nerd dumb. I don't know how to call it. Um,
2: actually, what about all
1: those kids that are nerds that fucking suck at school? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of kids like that. There totally is they're in good they're in band though right you know <laughs>
2: that's uh, some of them that's true that's some true. of them um and also i went you know i went to school thinking that i was gonna be a doctor honestly what kind of doctor i wasn't really sure but i was on the pre-med track because i didn't know what i wanted to do honestly yeah but i had always excelled in math and sciences and i was like well Let's just do this and see what happens.
1: So, but you, I I presume you left town to go to college. Yeah,
2: I went to Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. Wow! And
1: um, are you sure that was an upgrade from Green Bay, (laughs) being Iowa?
2: It was a little. I mean, it was it was something else.
1: Okay, that's good. That's (laughs) fair. That's totally fair. No, no offense, Iowa, but I've been to Iowa. It's been a week. It was definitely. It
2: was definitely bigger than Green Bay. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Okay. Okay. So, and I, you know. Nice liberal arts college, and I yeah. got a nice package as far as my financial aid was concerned. Very and so, good. nice um,
1: sc- scholastic scholarship exactly, or grants or whatever. Exactly. Well, so, yeah, why not do it then? Yeah,
2: exactly. So, and then I, um, I started on advice of somebody um, close to the family. Mm-hmm. They suggested if I wanted to go to med school, I would want a minor in something that was more in the humanities and be a much more rounded candidate. Mm. Um, as I was applying to graduate schools and and med programs. Oh, that's a great point. And so um, I started taking my uh, minor in religion, and I started really enjoying
1: those classes more than... Was it something that you grew up with? Was it? Density? You know, I,
2: I, I, well, I had a really interesting experience um, when I was in my confirmation class.
1: I don't know what that is. Tell me what that is.
2: A <laughs> confirmation class. Yeah. What is that? And so, um, so I was raised in the United Church of Christ, okay. and so, um, it's essentially once you get to the age where you can think about what you want as far as your spiritual life, uh-huh. um, you're reaffirming. The vows that your parents took for you in your baptism, but taking them on is your own as an adult.
1: They've got to vary quite a bit if, if you're in your 20s, let's say. When yeah,
2: you're... so I mean, you know, your parents are, are baptizing you into the family, yeah. but you need to affirm as an adult that that's something that, you know, you're a child. You didn't necessarily have a choice there, right? <laughs> that's right. <yeah>. Say <laughs> so your confirmation. I don't want to play
1: trombone, Mom. <laughs> exactly. It, yeah. the
2: confirmation is you confirming those vows essentially, for yourself. Interesting. Um, And so I had a really, you know, UCC is a very liberal denomination. And Mm. so there was one day um, that it was our minister of education. We called her Jan Babes. She Jan a, Babes. Yeah, Jan Davis. Yeah. Oh, Jan. Okay, uh, okay. But we called her Jan Babes. Um, <laughs> was she, she was like,
1: uh, amazingly attractive, or something. Where's no, she was just
2: she uh, she rolled with everything, and we ah, definitely put yeah. her through the ringer, you know. Yeah. And, <laughs> um And and she drove the Jan van. So she,
0: <laughs>
2: the Jan van. <laughs> <laughs> that we were having a whole discussion one day. She introduced the topic of symbolism, right? So, mm. what if the Garden of Eden didn't happen, but the story of the Garden of Eden is supposed to tell us something about how we're supposed to live our sure. lives? Which, what you know, sounds which,
1: pretty good to me. Exactly, not literal and for interpretations. Me, everybody. That was Everything.
2: that. Whoa, wow. Yeah. This might actually be something I'm interested in again. Because I thought the whole idea of the Garden of Eden was crazy, you know. Like, so there was a, there real- was a
1: pl- where is that place in Africa? Where, <laughs> yeah. Like, does it still grow garden? Is there still a garden there? They have an apple tree still? Yeah, like, what's exactly. the deal? Apples don't grow in Africa. <laughs> <What the hell?
2: laughs> so for me, it was like, bing. Oh, okay, cool. Now I can read this as literature, or you know, yeah, read it from yeah. historical perspective, or you know, and from. As a book you yeah, know absolutely. and and take lessons from it like you would from any other book you know that how how many novels have we read that have a lesson that are part of the theme well, you know? And then, then almost then every single one
1: universal like yeah. so you're not we pigeonhole people when we basically have these real rigid beliefs morally right yeah you know, this religious can be political doesn't matter right but we still like we put people in the corner and we paint mm-hmm. them in boxes and like that's not good but if you can open it up and say we all feel disappointment we all feel love. Like yep. then it becomes something that you can talk to people about. And it, it and then when it, it
2: becomes more about the lessons, yeah. all of a sudden you start looking at all of the world religions and you're like, wow. Every, there's, every world religion has their birth story. That's right. And there's all of these commonalities between them, yeah. you know, and look at the narratives and play them side by side. You realize how much we have in common with these people that we feel are so different yeah. from us. And it opens up a Isn't very different so world. It's, you like, know? <laughs> it's, me- it's
1: meant to distance everybody, but at the crux of it, it's like it's something that brings us all closer. Exactly. But the similarities
2: like- are once you start exactly. learning more and opening up you know, yourself to do a little bit and yeah. educate yourself a little bit. You realize how how many parallels there are between all of the world religions. Absolutely, there's an amazing book called um, by Houston Smith called "The Religions of Man," and I buy every time I see it at a used bookstore. I buy it for my friends, and Is I that just why hand been able to find it. <laughs> but you know, and so that was a, that was kind of a, a moment for me where I was like, you know what, I want to learn more. Yeah. you know, and so um, when I was trying to figure out my minor that i was like oh, i'm gonna take religion classes and then you know i started enjoying my religion classes more getting back my papers with a pluses on them you know spending yeah. more time on my minor classes than the classes in my major and all of a sudden i was like i you know i i didn't really like the idea of memorization of regurgitation and that was right. very much what was taking place sure. in all of my What's all of my science involved? classes yeah. you know when you're in organic chemistry you're remembering you're like memorizing everything mm. and then you're Spitting it back out onto a piece of paper, you know, and um, I was just bored to tears, and so I just flip flopped my major and my minor. Was
1: there was there a moment like the, I always like to think that people's lives are novels, right? And we <laughs> talked about this like you wake up and you have to you have to look at your key holder to know what city you're in. I mean, that's like that talk about symbolism. <laughs> that is poetic. That's like some Mick Jagger shit, right? Like Keith Richards has to do that. Like that's the kind of yeah, the,
2: but it's because he's wasted, well, but,
1: or delusional. He's like oh, all this stuff. But was there a moment where was there a test or was there some kind of text you were reading where like yeah this this should not be the primary focus of my life i really think it's more interesting it was just kind it of it was a,
2: i got to the beginning of my junior year and as i was mm-hmm. signing up for classes i was i i was practic I, I could feel my my lungs practically collapsing i was like it just felt like the wrong things wow. for me to be doing and so i called my older sister who had gone she was the only person in my family who had gone to co- immediate family that had gone to college mm-hmm. and i was like this is what's happening in my life right now i really don't think i'm making a good decision i, wow. I don't think i'm going to be happy and she was like pull the ripcord now you know yeah. like it, <laughs> she's like if it's leaving school it's leaving school if you feel like switching your major and your minor i'd already taken enough classes in the sciences to to have my minor yeah. in biology and so I completed my minor. So I had two years where all I did was focus on fulfilling my major in cre- religion.
1: It kind of like create the headspace for you that you felt free again? Yeah, yeah, totally.
2: And it was really cool to be doing it at such a small university with a small program in religion. Yeah. Because once I got through the basic courses, I was creating my own classes with professors. So, Amazing. you know, and it was just me or if there was another person who might be interested, one or two other people. But mm. so I was able to really focus courses on the things that I was interested in studying and like liberation theologies and thing of things of that nature. And marketing so.
1: and religion, which is like the greatest thing. Oh, sorry.
2: <laughs> well I am starting my new religion next week. Oh, Stay good. tuned.
1: Well it's it's easy. It's easy to find investors for that. That's the great part about religion. It's always investors. I figure that
2: in an election year it's perfect timing. It's perfect. <laughs> Especially this one. Everybody's looking for an answer.
1: Like man, I don't know, these guys they just don't talk to me. Like, this guy looks weird and this guy looks w- dumb. Like, what am I going to do? And wingus and dingus. That's what we've got. A lot, a lot of wingus and dingus. And that, I'm not going to tell you on which side either because that's <laughs> beyond the point. But so it seems like, though, you, this is all working out, kind of shakes out. You're like, yes, I'm going to focus on the... It, it was called a religion degree? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So starting on focusing on religion and then kind of... You obviously, I think, was, this is leading to master's work. It <laughs> sounds like it. Yeah. And if I recall, that was another big shift or another big move for you, right? Yeah.
2: So I, I did very well in my studies in undergrad <laughs> once uh, I changed my major. Oh, I bet. And yeah. so um, I got accepted at Harvard um, Divinity
1: School. And that that's is,
2: how I ended up. How Boston. sobering was that moment? Um, actually, it was really amazing. It's, it's a little it's a little bit of a long story. But I, I had applied to several schools that I was interested in as my first choice, yeah. Harvard being one of them. Um, and then a couple of what you know schools that I I would have been okay with, but I probably would have done a little bit of work there and then tried to transfer to another school. I and I had gotten um, a, a notice of being declined from one of my top schools, and I was. Freaking out! Whoa, what? I was like, "What am I gonna do?" Oh, you no. know, in my mind, I was thinking, uh, you know, I was looking at all the flyers around campus, like planting trees in Africa. I was like, "I don't know what I'm gonna do <laughs> if I don't get into ranch graduate ranch school," you, yeah. you know. And um, and so it was right before spring break, and my father had driven down from Green Bay um to pick me up to take me back home to see my mom Mm -hmm. and um he got to my apartment he had driven through the night and um he was sleeping in my apartment while i went to take a midterm and then so i get back to my apartment and i open up my mail and i pull out this gigantic envelope from harvard divinity school and i left my keys for him so i had to ring the doorbell and he had to let me in so he was opening the door as I was opening up this envelope, which of course was my acceptance yeah, to Harvard yeah. Divinity School. So my father actually got to be there to see me oh, jumping up and down like a crazy woman that's screaming, amazing. I got in, I got in, I got in. And he's
1: so, like, well, that's good. We're not paying for it. He was no. like,
2: you can tell I'd <laughs> woken him up. His hair was all wonky. And he was like, I don't know what's going on. i Harvard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing.
2: So it was nice for him to be able to there be there and share that moment with me you know
1: wow (laughs) so it's that's talk about symbolic yeah (laughs) like so brief tangent but are you close with your dad i imagine
2: yeah i'm close with my parents i'm you know i it's um i always like to say to a certain degree because my parent my sisters were so much older than i were and they had a very close relationship with one another and i was so much younger very rare where we had a it was very rare when we were at a point in time where we had a lot in common yeah. until we were much, much older. So is that it was, how it works? So like, it's kind yeah. of like being an only child, you know, down there when you're the when totally youngest and it's like, it's like several years.
1: Like, it's when it's the stratification between parent versus kid. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like until you get older, you can't like talk about dirty shit. Like, yeah. you, you know, you just like. I, I, and my <laughs> sisters
2: were always very cool and did. And cool stuff with me and tried to incorporate me into whatever yeah. activities they were doing which i really appreciated. it but it's really like you don't have a lot in common yeah it's kind of like affirmative sister action point.
1: they're being nice yeah do they really like so, re- appreciate this time i don't i don't know maybe but, but thank you for. so being
2: i think here. you know in that case you end up spending a lot more time with your parents yeah. you know when you're younger and so yeah you build a, a nice bond there well, that's
1: amazing so yeah. About how long did so from that moment where you realize you're accepted into Harvard, did that change it? You're like, all right, chapter whatever starts
2: I was scared to death why I don't know i was I was very intimidated by um just the word Harvard, you know, and yeah. I had you know I had come out and visited the school and talked to people, and you know you have a um i when I was here visiting before I was accepted. Um, there were
1: Wait, a lot here of people be- visiting. Or are you saying like when you? Were- oh right, right, right. right. I'm sorry. sorry, sorry. When
2: I was at Harvard visiting, sorry. Where? What state am I in? <laughs>
1: I've got, I've got the key card holder right here. Hang on. It's an. You're in Austin. This okay,
2: week. cool. Thank you. <laughs> Texas, Texas, Texas. Um, when, I, when I was uh, visiting Harvard, um, you know there were a lot of people there from larger universities that had had like. Um, larger programs and like classic um language studies and mm. things like that that are actually important when you're going to study like the style the part of religion that i was interested in which what was, was the specific like, part textual Nugget. criticism so i was interested in kind of um, the history in between what would have been the old and new testament like intertestamental oh, literature one. yeah and also like the time of jesus so yeah. like kind of that that's an area of a lot of flux, but um, you know, just necessary, it's necessary to be able to read Greek and things of that nature. And yeah. I had been studying that in at um, Drake and a one-on-one with one of my professors. <clears throat> but a lot of these people at the larger universities had had access to a lot more things. And I was like, and they were very proud about what they had done, and they were really sure, talking about I'm... it. And that wasn't really my style, you know. I was so I was just sitting there, listening, 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 and getting extremely intimidated and feeling like I wasn't necessarily like worthy. Maybe um, uh, that i m- no, not that, but I I just thought that they might have had opportunities that I didn't have available to me because of the schools that they were going to right. in comparison to Drake. Um, I didn't find out until much later that one of the reasons that one of the many reasons that I was accepted into Harvard was the fact that because I had been going to school at Drake and had been working one-on-one with a professor in my language studies, we were focusing predominantly on the New Testament. And I had translated most of the New Testament while I was in those last two years of my university. And most of the people sitting around me had studied the classic Greek and classic Greek and Koine Greek have similarities but there are some differences as well okay. so the fact that I had already translated the majority of the New Testament was one of the things that actually um, helped me to get into Harvard well yeah no so one in this
1: room has done think- that like I, I, I'm looking at Evan like what have you translated like, I can hardly read Faulkner like, I don't know what, what she's working <laughs> yeah i'm at a loss like that's a that's an insane that's a great accomplishment you know know? so
2: it was you know i was like okay misty maybe you should get a little bit more self-confidence
1: yeah i mean they don't just accept anybody into harvard at least i don't think they do i
0: hope not
1: (laughs) so how was that experience overall was it enlightening
2: oh studying at harvard yeah yeah, I mean, I learned a lot about myself, and I learned a lot about the people around me too. You know, and a lot of it about- good or
1: bad learning about the people around you?
2: Um, it was good and bad. Yeah. You know, um, I th- I had some classes that were extremely frustrating. Classes that I were I was hoping like a class on uh, racism and religion that I was hoping was going to result in some serious dialogue. Yeah. Um, but when everybody is um, clouded in so much political correctness that there's no actual discussion about the issues. Oh it sucks, doesn't it? You know, and you're you can feel you're like, I'm pretty sure the dude sitting to my right is a total racist. (laughs) 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 But he's he's been taught in how to speak, um, you know, in such a way that he doesn't come being that. Yeah. Yeah. And so there were some frustrations like that when you're looking you're trying to look at religion and culture.
1: Doesn't that bother you just doesn't it bother you that I like talking about things, like specific things. Yeah. And this, this comes down to the gnome too, right? Which we'll talk yeah. about in a second. But like everybody just talks, but not saying anything. And they're kind of just painting this niceness yeah. over everything. And we never really get down to the truth of the matter. And yeah. And, and academia can contribute to that. Yeah. But that's like the kind of like the modern... Do, 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 in a conversation we had before the mic was rolling, like do you feel that that's dangerous for language? That people are talking a lot, but they're not, not really saying, saying anything. anything. Yeah.
2: I, I I mean, I think it's dangerous for language, but I think it's dangerous um, in society as well. And I understand, you know, as we were talking before, it's yeah. like sometimes you have to leave things out of the conversation. Sure, sure, um, sure. Uh, but I also think that sometimes things have to come to the forefront so that you can have a real conversation right. about them. But it has to be done with proper discourse. You know, That's it's right. not necessarily about screaming and yelling at each other and thinking, we both, you know, I have the right idea. No, I have the right idea. It's right. like I, I feel this way, but I would really like to understand why you feel that way. That's empathy, you know. Right? And I, I, like I feel like aspect. we've lost that. Absolutely. unfortunately, you know, it's either it's like my way or the highway, That's right. and if you don't agree with me, I'm just going to scream at you. I'd much rather spend my time understanding a little bit more about the other side because I'm going to learn something, even if I don't. Well, how else do you ne- attack them? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have to I, learn their inside Even if moves, I don't right?
2: end up agreeing with them, you know, it, it will be important for me to understand where they're coming from because yeah. I'm going to learn something about them. You know,
1: it, that's the thing. Like, in, in this all ties back, like learning about Mescal learning about the villages, learning about the people behind the business, this is all very, very important. And you can't just point fingers. These people, these concepts, these topics, these people, they have lives. They've mm-hmm. got minutia. There's things that are situational that you need to discuss. It isn't yep. just a yes or no. Yeah. This isn't just a you suck, I'm right. Like that's not how this thing works. But I feel like we, it gets very dangerous in that sense. Especially it's in the it's world always
2: black and white and there's not gray for a lot of people. And the truth is, Life is gray. It's <laughs> Life is completely Absolutely. the gray area.
1: It's safe to you know? be black and white, right? Yeah. It's, that's a safe paradigm. Yeah. But that's not why the world is here. Yeah. You know, it is supposed to be gray. So how long did you spend in your master's program then at Harvard?
2: Um, I did a two-year program over three years. Okay. Because I was working like a little bee. Bartending, yeah. waiting tables, and everything like that. You know. Did you
1: ever suspect that this other thing that you were doing would gain a lot of traction in your life as well?
2: Well, I I got about halfway through my program, and I was just I was burnt out, and you know I really was starting to freak out a little bit. And a friend of mine turned to me, and he was like, "Just get the degree. Just, <laughs> you're so close. Just finish it. Just finish it." So just I, do this thing. You know, like you can figure out what you're doing afterwards. And so, um, I took his advice and I just got the degree. You know, I finished and I graduated but when I got done I felt, you know, I didn't feel any desire to go on to a PhD program right away. I Mm -hmm. was broke. I was burnt out, you know. But how old
1: were you when you finished?
2: Um, Let's see. I would have been about 25 probably. Yeah, perfect time too to like face
1: all this. It's like, I'm i di- I'm tired of it. Yeah. Like, let me take a break for a and, little bit. And
2: so I started bartending and then I realized very quickly I started bartending at the B Side Lounge in in Cambridge, which is yeah. like a great bar. And um I realized very quickly that I loved my job. And I was just like, why would I quit this job that I absolutely love to go back and start a program that I'm not so sure about? Sure. You know? And so I just stayed bartending. That's you know? so
1: it's, it's it's incredible because Seems like you put so much effort into this divinity because at Harvard it's called divinity. Is that yeah. Right. And then religion at the Drake. Well, yeah. Yeah. But it's the same thing. I yeah. mean, it's just a synonym ultimately, right? Yeah. But to think that, like, you come to a standstill, it's almost like a fork in the road, this kind of psych, uh, physiological dilemma.
2: Well, yeah. But I, I mean, I think there were certain things to me that um, in the spirits world that I've, like, connected yeah. to, you know, and once I met Ron, that was very much the case. But, like, even before. You know, I had the pleasure to go um, uh, with the folks from Chartreuse to France. Oh, you know, wow. and that was extremely cool to be in Grenoble and then to go out to the monastery and and learn more about their lives yeah. and everything. And, and that was very cool, kind of spiritual experience for Absolutely.
1: me. You I know, mean, it, it is spiritual it's, for um, sure. Yeah, I it, can it see was some, I can see some common threads here. Yeah, Talk about Ron it, to Chartreuse,
2: but it wasn't really until I met Ron that kind of everything came. My my interest in religion and my interest in spirits really kind of meshed. And that was the first night that I met him. He was in Massachusetts, and he was trying to build distribution there. And he went to our mutual friend, Leo de Groff and said, who should I go see in Boston? Who's going to understand Mescal? Yeah. And Leo's like, go see Misty at Green Street. And so he rolled in on a Friday night to the bar I was managing, sat down at one of the high-top tables, which we took care of as well, and I walked out to the table and he ordered two tequila drinks of my choosing for he and his friend. Yeah, And I was like, okay. And I was pretty happy because Agave had not gone through any renaissance at that point with, in time. It yeah, so was like we 2008.
0: Talking? Oh,
1: yeah. Not and yet.
2: not even close. I was like did one you, of the only people that. Did you have
1: any that, idea who he was?
2: Nope. Oh. I had no idea. Just a
1: dude with the ponytail. Yep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. And, um, and so I was like, oh, interesting. Somebody drinking tequila. Cool. I was one of the only people drinking tequila, you know. And so I get behind the bar. I'm making the drinks. And he's just watching everything that I'm doing, you know, looking at the back bar and everything. Mm. Take the drinks out. Go back to check on them. These are great. Thank you. And then a couple seats open up at the bar. So he moves over to the bar and starts pulling the bottles out of the bag. Oh, man. In the fan pump baskets. And so I walked over and I'm like, who are
0: you? Really, <laughs> what have you done? You? No, and
2: so he told me that Leo had sent him. And then he just started pouring samples for me. Like, thankfully, it was like a slow Friday night yeah. because then <laughs> normally this would not be able to take place. Um, and so um, he started pouring samples for me and explaining each of the marks that he was pulling out. And I really appreciate it. It resonated with me right away that every single mark had a story about the family mm-hmm. and the village. And he always referenced ritual use. Interesting. And that it was connected with culture and history. Right. You know, and for me, that resonated with a lot of the things that I had studied in religion, especially when you start talking about ritual, you know. Yeah. And so um, just that night was changed the trajectory for me, really. Yeah. And um, he came back about a week later to work with the distributor again, invited me out for dinner, and we had like a two and a half hour dinner talking about the ritual use of mezcal. Sure. Wow. Yeah. And we just became fast friends, and I was in Oaxaca a year later, less than a year later. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: Did you, because so, it, it, it imagine, again, it, it, we're at a crossroads, right? So yeah. th- there's these, these like, stamps. So you've got music, and then you're like, I'm going to give it up for academia, and then kind of move into met. I'm going to be a doctor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, doctor? Fuck yeah, I'll be a doctor. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> well, all right, all right. I, I, I'll be a doctor, huh. but I want to be a soft, Patch adams kind of doctor. So I, somebody, <laughs> I have to have something to kind of fall back on. So you've got the religion that kind of like buffers that. And you're like, well, actually, you know what? Uh, religion heals people. No, okay, <laughs> okay,
0: okay, okay. But so you
1: flip it. And so you have this yep. kind of this, this shift again. and it it, But it's all still in common. It's not like you've advanced. It it's all just builds off of each other. Yeah. You know? So being in the industry and saying, well, I don't really want to pursue the PhD program at Harvard or anywhere really necessarily in Divinity. Did you start taking the, the industry serious and think like, well, I want to own my own place or I want to be... A brand ambassador, did you think about those kinds of things as well?
2: Well, I loved bartending. Yeah. I really, really loved bartending. And and really, the only reason I stopped bartending is that I started having problems with my joints. Like, oh, really? Yeah. And Sh-
1: shaking so much?
2: Yeah, just repetitive motion, you know, yeah. after almost 20 years.
1: It's so, but that is a brilliant, so uh, Ian Griffith from White Lion was in town mm-hmm. and wonderful dude. Got to meet him a couple times. But anyway, so we came in and he started White Lion because his joints hurt yeah I'm like oh it was born out of necessity uh, yeah so sometimes like these kinds of changes in careers like they're born from things that we, our bodies just can't yeah. deal with the stress anymore
2: yeah and yeah. so i you know i actually i put the fix in with ron to work with him three years before he hired me really because i was working at drink in boston and i was just, oh, that's a great spot i was just in pain at the end of every shift mm-hmm. you know and I loved that working at that bar so much. I loved working with John Gertzen and Josie Packard and Scott Marshall. You know, like such a great team. But I was just in so much pain. And so Ron was in New York. I took the train down to New York and sat down with him one afternoon. And I was like, here's the deal. I know you're not ready to hire anybody. I know you're still building this brand. Yeah. I mean, it was like 17 years in, but still building the brand or whatever. You know, 12 <laughs> years in, 13 burn. years yeah. in, whatever it was. Um, I was like, but when you're ready to start hiring people, will you please think of me? And I explained yeah. to him kind of where I was at. And um, he was like, okay, okay. And then every six months after that, he would kind of check in, give me a shout, you know, call me and be yeah. like, I haven't forgotten about our conversation. You know, it's still not there yet. How are you doing? How are your risks doing? you know like
1: checking was it getting worse the, like along the, the
2: i i had to leave drink because that was wow. there were certain things about how that bar was built that were really detrimental to my wrist yeah um and so i had to leave that job and i got another job and that made my wrists better that other joints worse you know yeah and yeah. so you know it was just kind of biding time That's you right. know <laughs> um and so about Almost three years to the day after I had that conversation with me, they offered me a job. That's amazing. Yeah. And so it's...
1: Was it, it was never about... It, it, does it ever become about the money? Because it seems like such a spiritual journey that it would never be about. No. Money.
2: For me, the most important thing is I re- when I realized I needed to leave the bar world, mm-hmm. th- bartending... Is that I needed to work for a brand that I believed in start yeah. to finish. Because it's hard, right? I don't I don't have a poker phrase, you know, <laughs> at all. And, and I had and I'd fallen in love with agave. Um and so I really wanted it, it to be in the world of agave, but you know, there weren't a lot of brands that I could really speak about the way I could speak about this brand, you yeah. know.
1: And um, Well you I, picked the you picked the one. Yeah. Uh, no, now <laughs> no, it that, picked me.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, it's
1: even more that's even more poetic. It picked you. Well, so let's. Evan, I
2: have a
1: problem. Yeah, so let's use this. (laughs) This is the perfect mile marker to talk about now the foray into Mezcal or foray into agave. And so we've been sipping the tobala with, sorry, the bien picado with tobala heads that Judith from Vago was so graceful that he gave me a bottle. It's 53.9. I think this guy, really lovely, you know, when talking Mezcal with you, let's. I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> it's, just,
0: <laughs> it's
1: all good. Like this is a brilliant Aquilino bottle. Um, love it. Copper distilled, etc. Et yeah, yeah, yeah. So you did have a problem, however, and that was that your carpita was empty. And <laughs> Evan is so wonderfully pouring us is this the barrel?
2: This is the barrel, yeah. Yeah.
1: A moment of silence for the barrel, <laughs> Which I love the cause it's a got it's a Gave Carwinsky. Yep. Right. So the cool thing about Austin is we actually have a lot of karwinski that grows. Oh, here. cool! Uh, if you go down to East Seventh Street, for example, and just look, they're lined up in the middle of the road. They oh, were nice. decorative, but then they started growing and kind of populating. Of <laughs> um, that's that's what I'm keeping my eye on because it's a lovely varietal. And very very muddy and forest floor ish musky. You know. Yeah, I
2: mean that's something. That's a note that you kind of get in any karwinski. Yeah. You know, there's that nose that. Is like a little yeah. bit dusty, you know, For a little sure bit dust, dirty, yeah. you know. So whether you're talking burrito or modern, <laughs> this is not the hotel cliche. room
1: that people do heroin in. This is what, <laughs> <laughs> what this is what the carpet smells like. Like just like put in the most the most elegant possible. Yeah. Okay. What is the proof on this guy?
0: This
2: one's forty
1: nine. Forty nine. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh yes. Please oh yeah. The, the DJ Beo. <laughs> ah, Oh, awesome. man this is good that's a great moment i mean i i hope this is only the beginning of getting to talk mezcal with wonderful people that really love it and have been imbibed with its spirit not just the
2: spirit <laughs> yeah
1: wordplay there thank you very much <laughs> so 49 percent. this comes from which
2: santa Catarina minas oh Minas. so okay. it's it's made in clay yeah and,
1: and two times distilled bottom. in clay mm-hmm. um in the Proofing process, you guys are using water to bring it down or just no. the colas and the puns? Okay? Yeah. Okay. Man, lovely, cool. lovely smell to him. Yeah. So, this is a great way to eject us into <laughs> yet another cha- chapter of Misty's life. <laughs> and that is the Mezcal chapter. Yeah. The mezcal so, chapter. what year did you start? You said it was three years almost to the day. Is that 2011 or 12? It'll
2: or? be three years on Friday. So,
0: 2013.
1: 2000,
2: yeah, 2013, 2013. April 1st, 2013 was the no start date.
1: I'm, just kidding. Of I'm kidding. <laughs> So, how has this journey been for you?
2: Amazing. Um, you know, the mezcal part is easy. The switching oh, yeah. over from the bartender to the supplier side mm. a little bit more challenging. Mm um <laughs> mm-hmm. you know because bartending is a job that you see immediate returns right i put a drink in front of you and you either like it or you don't and if you don't like it i have the opportunity to fix it right away all right you know and make and you there's happy some money right then
1: no net 30 <laughs>
2: there's
0: no net 30
1: in bartending right
2: <laughs> um but growing a category or growing a market is a much slower process and it took me a little bit to realize I was having a lot of anxiety when I started the job. Really? Yeah. Because I didn't feel like I was accomplishing anything. Because Why it takes it takes a little bit before you start to see the needle move. I see. You know, or something like that.
1: And so But Ron probably knows that, right? Well, like,
2: I, I you know, Ron is great. My my boss, Michael Gardner, is amazing and he spent many, many years working in the spirits industry. And he's been a great teacher to yeah, me as I've right. moved over to the supplier side and you know we talk almost every day and he was like how are you doing and i'm like i'm really anxious he's like what are you anxious about i'm like i haven't figured it out yet you know and it took me a little bit and then um once i figured it out he was like well that was very astute of you to be able to figure it out and we were able to have a much longer conversation about what i should be expecting as far as timelines he's like you're not going to see anything right away He's like, that's very true. You know, you've changed. Slow burn. You know, it's a slow burn. He's like, but once you start to see it, it's going to feel so good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The needle moving. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, and it's cool. Had you
1: you been to Mexico before this whole thing?
2: Um, Well, I went with Ron the first time in 2009, the year after I met him. And I was going pretty much every year, once a year. Mm -hmm. Um, And had also been to Jalisco a few times as well.
1: See, it's a little bit of background. Yeah, exactly. I
2: mean, by the time I was... Hired by the company, I had met every producer, including those in the Mixteca Alta. Oh,
1: that's amazing. Yeah. So, what's your official title then with Dominguez?
2: Which day is I, it? No, I know. <laughs> I
1: it was actually kind of a trick question. Right?
2: <laughs> well, um, does for, it fit on the
1: card or no? <laughs>
2: <like> <laughs> well, I started out as the East Coast Wes. The Wes is the judge and is responsible for keeping your copita full. I see. At any fiesta. Easy uh,
1: job like description that's yeah. good that's very i could do that as of right now i could do this
2: yeah um it's changed a little bit and now i'm the director of our vino de mezcal program oh, okay um so because we have amazing people like evan working with me who are working kind of regionally i'm able to focus up on this more limited release program yeah and i travel throughout the country um, highlighting that and working with our key accounts. What are, promoting what are a few
1: that? of the kind of more limited? Because we come to Vita, staple product, great Stable, price point, yep. good proof, very, very mixable, right? Yep. And it's probably maybe part of the intent of the product, which yep. makes perfect sense. What are some of the things that are more limited offerings? Like, well, the barrel
2: that you're drinking right now. Oh, it's limited? We only brought about 66 packs into the U.S. That on was it? Yeah.
1: All right, hang on. I got to save this a little bit more. <laughs> No, it's, it's lovely because yeah. I, I get a lot of the, there's that slight cola um, funk that you get when yeah. you do that run, and I can just taste just enough of it to, to know it's there, yeah, to know it's real. This is real. <laughs> it's real. But no, that's good. So the burial, was the, mm-hmm. there is a Madre We
2: have the Madre it's right there. Quiche, the is
1: hand. that one also limited?
2: Yeah, we're going to be getting some more back in into the States shortly, but you know, we started out with one palette, and that was it. You know,
1: it's wow. um, <laughs> amazing um,
2: that you mentioned the San Pedro Teviche. Yeah. we only brought fourteen cases of that to the United States.
1: Which and so this is the new one. There's only fourteen, or the uh, oh no, the old one. We only brought case, it in. What was it?
2: Fourteen cases. That was it. Wow. We spread it among uh, four accounts. Maybe it was nineteen cases among four accounts. That's
1: not okay. a lot. Yeah. These are six yeah. packs.
2: Yeah, six packs.
1: Yeah, it's even less.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then things, uh, you know, the te- the arroqueño and tapestate, oh, yeah. they come in and out based upon the availability of ripe agave. So when you're talking about agaves that are taking 20 to 35 years to reach maturity, yeah. you know, we want to make sure that we're using ripe agave. So I would rather say we don't have it rather than us have something that's coming from, right? yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So that te- so one... One bit of notes and something I'm gonna thank you for. So, mezcal has become a, an amazing thing, and I think this will lead into a different part of the conversation. But it's very there's something attractive, there's something romantic about mezcal, and that it is unbridled. It is just, man. To and to paraphrase, paraphrase Francisco, Tarazas, the agave. So you think about bourbon. We love bourbon. Got a lot of bourbon dancers. Yep. A single kernel contributing its life to the bottle. Eh, you know, go back. But the agave dying for the bottle to make it really poetic yeah that makes the spirit so much more powerful mm-hmm. and so much more romantic you know? yeah. and i i never thought about it like that that the, the tepestate you think about that one it grows over 20 years to just up
2: to 35 up to
1: 30 right, right right like my age like it's me yeah just kill me right and then yeah. you can drink my blood would be weird but still you could but that, <laughs> but that's like this plant lives and thrives and experiences more than probably any of us have seen in terms of climate change and things and is so perceptive to it. Yeah. And it's in the bottle.
2: I think about the fact that so we have Tepestate sitting right here. Yeah. The plant those plants that created that Mascal were planted before this company existed.
1: Wow. Yeah. And
2: we've been around for 21 years.
1: It's amazing. Oh, oh. But that Tepestate is or tepextate Tepestate. Tepe- Tepestate. Tepe- 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 it is the single It's my favorite one ever (laughs) because it both balances the earth, oven, funk, but then there's rubber band, there's wonderful citrus, like amazing flavors that I never experienced before. And that, like while I was trying to learn how to distill, like it it just had this wonderful kind of cadence between the two of them. And I'm forever changed because of that Mm -hmm. bottle of mezcal more than any other. So thank you guys. Yeah, that. I mean, because well, assuming that I do good work, thank you. If I do bad work, like <laughs> just like don't take credit. Like we we, uh, we condemn him. Right. Well,
2: like, I'll think the 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 real person the next time I'm in Wonaca.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, it's it's magical, right? And so Mescal becomes this category that you have had a hand in making it more relevant culturally, obviously moving more cases, and with the growth and with the maturity, there are a lot of dangers. Mm-hmm. There are regulatory dangers, which we'll talk about. There are also perception dangers. We talk about production. There's people taking shortcuts. All these kinds of things. But the one I'd like to talk about is GNOME 199 mm-hmm. because I just, and that had nothing to do with our conversation even, but I just posted something that said, hey, I'm a unilingual white guy, <laughs> but I can read okay. And I would love to see it translated so I could get into the details. Mescalistas, they they posted a great like kind of simplification of the article, but we talk about this.
2: Experience mescal has a really great... I heard that one as well. Francisco
1: mentioned that. But going back to when we were talking about wanting to know the details and talk about something, I don't want to say anything unless I can go to the source material. Yeah. So is there a kind of like a nice way or an open way that you can describe what's at risk here with GNOME-199?
2: Well, um, there's a few things. <laughs>
1: yeah. I suspect there's at least three things in most articles that I read.
2: But. Um, um, the biggest one is who would be allowed to use the word agave? Right. Um, and this is, you know... This is something that has been tried to be passed before. Oh, it in has? In 186, okay. several years ago. It gets, so
1: just getting reformed into... So
2: No. 186 was trying to essentially brand the word agave for people that were only within the denominations of origin of Bacanora, Tequila, and Mezcal. uh uh-huh. And um, through the work of the Tequila Interchange Project and people like Pedro Jimenez and, and Clayton, we were able to spread the word and draw attention to it. And that was defeated. But immediately when it was defeated, David Ciro was like, "We have to keep watching because it's not over. They're going to try and do this again. They're, it's going to come up again somewhere." So, and, so
1: let's frame that because that's very important. Is the, is the thing is? So we, we we'll talk about the details of it. But the the thing is, so what? This it's a bill. So mm-hmm. let's kind of equate it to how we work here. Let's just talk like Texas legislation, right? So it's a it's a bill drafted by what is so, legislation or?
2: Uh, yeah, so the, the norms say what, what mezcal can be, what the norms are what's the best way to describe it i might not know, do the best job of this i'm like where are you david <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh don't worry i'm gonna ask him i have to ask him as yeah, well
2: yeah but he'll is- have a much better description of it but it it is essentially a bill yeah and it, ha- it goes through a series of steps okay it's introduced and then there's a reading period and then it goes through certain levels of legislation for them to look okay, at okay. it um and, you know um and depending upon what the bill is it might go through the people that are in charge of taxes or
1: whatever different like, committees. Can, I guess um, is what we call they're them. Regu-
2: they're like re- other regulatory agencies it, okay. of the government. Yeah. Um. And and then there's another open period where we can respond to it. And so that's kind of what's happening right now. Yeah. There's about 30 more days where we can actually put in um, signatures to them and say we have this number of people who are against this. You know, and they represent these organizations. They represent you know, bartenders in the US and throughout the world right. and they represent, you know, producers what, and what's all of that the, kind the, of
1: stuff. The the real impact of external people like you and I supporting this from abroad, basically.
2: Well um especially when you're talking about Agave distillates, yeah. we're the largest export market so for tequila and Mezcal, So it's money. It's asking yeah. People, right. So uh, they and so, do
1: take that into consideration then Oh know.
2: yes, they have to okay. and you know in my opinion, I think you know, and I think a lot of people in Mexico would agree with me. The growth of a category like mezcal in Mexico mm-hmm. has followed because of the growth of the category in the U.S.
1: First, that's right. Oh yeah, um, and so well, we're that, closest. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and it, it, I mean, it's it's a it's a sad thing that nobody was paying attention to this cultural treasure, you know, there that it was being frowned upon in most circles, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until consumers in the u.s really started taking an interest in it that any that people in mexico started taking an interest in it because i think so about, that's good though yeah it's great it's great you know i i wish they had been that i wish they had realized what they had you know i was in mexico city you know how old am i five years ago <laughs>
1: <laughs> wait i'm doing some math here. yeah
2: i had to i knew exactly why i'd been in mexico city
1: but
2: <laughs> you know then talking to people about mezcal they were you know very much looking down their noses at it and everybody was drinking you know some people were drinking tequila but a lot of people drinking brandy and rum you know yeah
1: brandy's huge brandy
2: rum buchanan's scotch you know um and it's changed so much just in the last five years you know there's great mascalerias all over mexico city and it's like to think of the that huge change in such a short amount of time, and all because of the influence of right. what has we've been consuming. So you would in think the
1: that, U.S. Sure, you would think they'd want to be hands off because yeah. it's like, all right, we're gonna let the market stabilize because growth hasn't even reached its potential yet. Is that five years? Maybe is it ten years? Fine, I, we don't care, but we just want to be hands off because it is profitable for the government as it is here because, of course, they're collecting taxes. I presume. Yeah, right?
2: but the way they're writing these laws, if they're able to, if these gnomes, if they're able to pass them. There's still they're going there's opportunities for them to make a lot more money. I see, um, especially with the larger conglomerates. It okay,
1: so them. then that, that frames one ninety nine perfectly, and I know this comio that is a specific comio. Yeah, so
2: that's the first the most frightening thing to me is that they want to um, limit the use of the word agave okay. once again only to people that are within the denomination of. May I ask and, why? Um, they say that they're doing it to protect the consumers. Um, because, um, they think that, well, they know that, and I believe this to be true as well, but this isn't the way to solve the problem, yeah. um, is that there's a lot of products that out there that are claiming to be, um, either a certain percentage of agave or right. an agave distillate and they're counterfeit, if you will.
1: Absolutely. But that's yeah. not predominantly in Mezcal.
2: Um, that, from, no, from it's my just, experience,
1: it's the overall they're looking because it's, yeah.
2: It's, it's is what, just, like
1: five to ten percent of yeah, the overall? Yeah, they're just agenda? looking
2: at distillates in general okay. in Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so there this whole bill was created as a way, you know, to kind of classify every um distilled spirit in yeah. Mexico and how they saw it to be including those that are imported. Those right. that are exported and
0: imported. Oh, I see. So what okay. is
2: scotch whiskey? What oh, okay. you know, so it is all very of those equivalent things there's a the list and yeah. you know uh clayton said it great on his roundup on experiencedmillschool.com he was like this is like a c level student who's crammed overnight you know like some of their descriptions are so <laughs> yeah. terrible about you know like scotch whiskey producers weren't allowed to participate in how, you know the whiskey category is defined you know really so it's terrible you yeah. know and that Why was don't a great ju- i'll
1: send them a pdf they can just copy the TV's classifications <laughs> everybody wins there's parody like all of it
2: um and so if you're not within those denominations of origin for tequila or mezcal or bacanora you would have to use the word comil. And yeah, you okay. would not be able to use agave. Now Comil is a word that it comes from the Nahuatl language and it means um, alcoholic beverage. but it has no cultural significance throughout Mexico. So in who any uses sort of the way. word? No one.
1: No one. No one. So, so it's this esoteric the- word for uh, a desk.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so um, if you, um, my friend Pedro Jimenez made this amazing video that's online right now, where he went to some, he works with some of the producers that would be affected by this law, yeah. who would no longer be able to use the word agave. And he asked them, Do you, what is comil?" And they're like, I don't know.
1: Is that that guy? It's a doctor They got that show right
2: You know they have no idea what Comil is It's totally arbitrary Yeah it's arbitrary and it has no cultural or historical Significance for the people that would be Affected most Um, And so all of a sudden if you're in this Marketplace where you can't use the word that Everybody knows you to be You are at a a significant Disadvantage obviously So that's a huge deal And I think about it because you know we're fortunate enough to be a part of the DO so it wouldn't affect any of our producers yeah. but it could have it you know it could affect our future producers sure. you know there's you think about in the largest sense of what mezcal is an agave distillate it's made in 26 of the 31 states of Mexico yeah. think about how many people would be affected by this bill considering there's only nine states where you can make mezcal there's you know Jalisco and municipalities and four other states where you can make tequila, but some of that overlaps with mezcal. So right. we're not even talking about fourteen states at that point in time. And then you have Bacanhar so so one ultimately, because so you'd have people in thirty some states who all of a sudden can't use the word agave. Yeah, and that's the word that they've been using forever.
1: Yeah, <laughs> a, it, it shackles them for sure yeah, yeah. from a branding perspective and from a product perspective. Yeah. So okay, so this this was the thing that I was I was unclear about, but it, it's starting to. Starting to paint a very, very clear picture because, in earnestly, whomever raised the bill, right? Known as GNOME 199, they did it because they said, Man, there are a lot of people that are maybe not using agave distillate in this product, but they say they are. And right now, the way our labeling works, it's not protecting the consumer to distinguish and understand. That these particular products aren't exactly what they say to be. So that's it's so in a sense it had a good intent, or is it is that am I looking at it way too bright eyed bushy It's hard to
2: say. I mean, if you consider like the the number of people that were involved, so you had the Tequila Regulatory Council, involved. Uh, you had the Tequila Chamber of Commerce, the CNIT involved, mm-hmm. you had the um, the Consejo of Mescal involved, Hippocrates was a part of it, uh, then you had Pernod Ricard. Diagio, mm-hmm. um and the two largest beer distributors um as well, because it's all alcoholic beverages. So it also lists okay. you know, it lists what a cocktail can be. There's even, you know, there's danger in that because you only what was it, Evan? I forget the percentage. It's like something like um twenty-five percent. If you can say that you're offering a mezcal beverage for like a ready-to-drink, uh-huh. um, but actually only 25% of the alcohol. In that beverage has to be mezcal. I see. So if you made a ready to drink beverage and it only had half an ounce of mezcal in it out of the total two ounces of liquor, right. and the other ounce and a half was a cane spirit or something, mm-hmm. you could still say it was a mezcal beverage.
1: Yeah, that's a weird one even here. Like, yeah. Need you ready to drink. Yeah.
2: And so, you know, there's all sorts of, th- you know, the comil is a very large part of it, but, you know, there's some um, regulation, uh, part of the regulation is that. They're asking um, producers of products like Sotol and Ricea that they have to pay for um, essentially not their certification, but they have the regulators to come and make sure they're doing everything properly right. and to get their raw materials certified, if you will. But unfortunately, there's nobody certifying <laughs> in those regions. Ricea doesn't have a DO. Yeah, you right, know. Right, right. So- what does that mean then? What are they trying to accomplish? Send a guy know? out to
1: say something <laughs> that they don't know what they're saying.
2: There's a lot of things that are, um, considering you're talking about a very poor country, yeah. uh, people just don't have the financial means to, to do. And, and maybe
1: not even the academic need. Yeah. To like understand and kind of clarify yeah. that
2: stuff. So, um, you know, RICEA would be hit very hard because they, um, they're not paying attention to the, Kind of uh, geographic designation of. Mm. Ricea doesn't have a do. Um, but there's a very specific geographic designation where Ricea as we think about it, right. has been produced um, in Jalisco um, and along the coast, and um, but not all of Jalisco. Yeah. The way the reg- legislation is written and as to what Ricea it is includes all of Jalisco. So you have these small producers who are producing their version of mezcal that they use a regional name for, such as Chacolo, that, which is in around the Colima volcano, but in Jalisco, they would have to be, Call their product Recia now. I see. It's just That's strange. It's it's not paying attention to the true culture and history so what of the regional beverages, um, and it's leaving it open. You know, one of the examples that Clayton had on his roundup is that now you've created this beverage called Comil, right? If this passes, mm-hmm. there's nothing stopping a large transnational company from coming in, setting up an industrial production anywhere outside of the Do. And creating this beverage that is the new comil yeah. of Mexico, and becoming this competitor for resources, um, and you know they become an export. Um,
0: so and- that's
1: poten- potentially why the trademark was. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you do you suspect that that's why the trademark's been filed for comil is to protect? I don't know the intent there. and I haven't been able, it's, able to talk to the it's guys hard, that, Yeah, that, it's hard to say. It's yeah. hard to say. I can't imagine I, they would sandbag you guys. Like, they're part of the... the they've got good... Well, Hawkeye's got great product. Yep. Um, they have a very ethical model with their producer. And I can't suspect... I, it just doesn't make a lot of sense that they would try to undermine what everyone else is doing rather yeah. than protect it. But I, I don't yeah, know.
2: Yeah, I, I have no idea. We all talk, We're know. all talking about it.
1: Like, this is... You know, this is like... <laughs> I feel like it's Game of Thrones recap, right? Like, <laughs> there's a specific audience and there's a specific like subject matter yeah. and we're talking about this stuff. But like, so let, let's distill it down into its simplest terms. What as a white guy in Texas or a white guy, and I'm just going to put it that way because like, there's a lot of us, <laughs> there's a lot of white guys. What do we do outside of Mexico to help and truly have influence and help kind of prevent things Rather, prolong a better discussion while just side, try, you know, like taking the stuff off the table for now that really do threaten Moscow. What can we do?
2: Well, in the immediate, we need everybody to sign the petitions that are out there because we really only have 30 days left to respond to um, the norm 199. No. And so there is a petition on the Tequila Interchange Project website. There's a petition on change.org um, that Pedro Jimenez set up And it's really important that we get signatures there Because honestly they will pay attention to that
1: So that's, that is the that's thing That's the that, immediate that to do
2: right now If
1: you do add a signature It does matter it does Because matter. we get real accustomed to these kind of signatures Like well you know Deport Obama Right, like, yeah. what the fuck, man? <laughs> and people, and, and so you get a hundred of your stupid ass friends to sign this thing, and so now it has traction. Is it legitimate? I don't know. But in a way, they're kind of embarrassing the whole concept of really adding like kind of motion to these these yeah. causes, you know. So it does matter. It does matter. They do pay attention. What is the threshold that they need to either table the bill? Is is there? There's not a, a there's
2: different? not a number. Okay, you know, there's not a number, but. Um, the people that will be reviewing this will pay attention when, you know, when NOM 186 was stopped, we managed through, we found out about it very, very late in the game, the Tequila Interchange Project. And over the course of something like 72 hours, we we acquired thousands of signatures from around the world as far away as Singapore. We just immediately got on our social networks and we're like, we need your help right now. And, you know, they respond to that. If all of a sudden they think that bartenders are not, going to be huge threat right per, yeah, yeah purchasing products or you know oh
1: okay so this is good this helps me to frame it because i want to also socialize this you know in whatever ways i can because of course we're here enjoying mezcal we want yeah. to preserve, <laughs> preserve the mezcal you know in the yeah. culture and the spirit well and i think
2: it's also it's just important to consider that we all of the people the people that are most threatened by the uh, legislation in regards to the word go Yeah. That those are the future spirits that you want to be imbibing here in the U.S. That's right, you know. Um, and if if this goes through, there's a very good chance that they are not going to be able to continue what they're doing, mm-hmm. and you're not going to have the opportunity to experience them, yeah. whether in Mexico or in the states. And raya so, being
1: the biggest at risk, it sounds like. Well,
2: ricia, you know, certain people who are making ricea right now would be protected, but other small um, cultural beverages that would get kind of lumped into Ricea that aren't Ricea would be more at risk because they don't have any cultural connection to what the producers of Ricea are. Right. They have their own, you know, the way Mezcal works, we have this denomination of origin of Mezcal, um, but it's really hard what is Mezcal, yeah. you know, because it's so, it's different from village to village and region to region. Absolutely. Um, and so, I mean, the ideal situation would be that the mezcal was opened up as the denomination of origin we had much smaller um, organizations that knew more about the regional use of a product and the regional production of a product um, that could really say this is what this should be you know rather than something that's so broad and tries to encompass a beverage that's so diverse you know there's nothing i i can't find one bottle that i think oh this is mezcal
0: right right
2: all of those are mezcal. multifaceted. Everything that different. you have downstairs on yourself yeah. is mezcal, yeah. you know, and and there's not one bottle that is like, oh, this is the perfect example. No,
1: there's of no prototype for yeah. mezcal. Yeah, and it's so very and we scary.
2: only have access to the tiniest little tip of the iceberg, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. So there's got to be a better way.
1: <laughs> I agree. No, but that's good for me because. I need bite-sized things that I can action. I don't want yeah. to just talk about something. Yeah. I want to make sure that we understand it and we understand what's at risk and then we can do something about it. And the thing is, again, if if in fact this we coalesce into a movement, we coalesce into a narrative globally, it sounds like. Yeah. That will somehow it'll be like on the back of their mind, like, oh, yeah. oh fuck, the market impact. Like if we yeah. do this, we're all going to be really, really hurting financially. Yeah, That's what and it comes down to always, it, right? Oh, it
2: does. It, okay. It, it definitely, when in a piece of legislation like that, it con- always comes down to finances. Yeah. You know, and it's, I should, you I can should s- always
1: remember, <laughs> like, what's it about? Money? Money. Oh, oh money. Money, money. Sorry. I, I <laughs> well, forgot. you yeah.
2: consider, you know, China was just opened up to 100% Blue Agave Tequila within yeah. the last year. So if they receive, if all of a sudden the CRT is a part of this and they see that, how many signatures of bartenders in China have signed this piece of legislation.
1: Oh, it's huge they emerging to, market
2: for them. You something. know, they have to think about it. It's like, wow, are we really pissing these people off? Yeah. And what is the impact of that? Or what could be the impact of that? Right. You know, and um, they'll pay attention.
1: I think that's good to note. Yeah. That's, that's the most important part of this whole conversation is I'm a bit more clear on it, but it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, I,
2: I'm not even 100% clear no, on it. No, but like, I mean, this is piece enough of legislation like least- is like, so many pages long, and once you start getting into the index of like how they describe the various beverages, yeah. it's, it's really kind of funny,
1: actually. Huh. If, <laughs> <laughs> it's ill-fated. It seems like, <laughs> but, but that's again, that's you know. That's really, I wish really it important. was, but it's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Please don't assume anything. <laughs> no,
1: no, right, and that's good. And so, I you know, we'll we'll stand aligned here behind yeah. making sure that we sign these kinds of things to protect mezcal, because it, like it, it comes back to it. In murder and Mescal, it's always about money. (laughs) Always, 100% of the time. Well, the husband, he got the life insurance policy. He didn't do it. (laughs) No, he fucking did it. Like, that's how it works all the time. It's always about the money. So now I've learned my (laughs) lesson. So, so with Mescal's growing popularity, you know, and this would be kind of the way we wrap this, it's a really important thing for people to experience because of how pure it is, again, as I kind of mentioned. What does the future of this look like? Regulations aside, but yeah. like just pure production, pure growing capacity. Yeah. Like, Where are we going to be in 10 it's, years? I
2: mean, it's an exciting time and also a really scary time for me. I say that all the time. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, hey, Evan, can I have some Madra Cliche? <laughs> I get really emotional when I talk about this.
1: Wait, <laughs> wait, hold on. I want to get emotional. I want to get emotional.
2: No, I mean, talking about the future of mezcal, you yeah. know, because... Um, it's really cool to see other great brands coming onto the market, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's cool to know that I work for the brand that really, ha-
1: like, you guys started started
2: it, you yeah. know. And but to see other people making the like good choice choice and like following the model and making, you know, long term relationships with their producers, you yeah. know, that's really cool, you know. So there's a lot of people doing it right, and there's a lot of people doing it wrong. So there's two sides of this, you know. I think we have some serious issues that we need to tackle with sustainability. And there's the human sustainability. It's like we need to make sure that the people that are making this product are taken care of. Um, And so... And, and then there's the biological sustainability, you know, we're there's not, so many, yeah. you know, we're not talking about a gin where you can get several harvests of your choice of sure. grain, you know, or vodka. And we're not talking about wine where you have 100 year old vines, you yeah. know, it's a very different thing. We go
1: back to it. Yeah. You take it, it doesn't it's, regrow. Uh, yeah. That's actually one of the benefits of Sotol, right? Like, is that the root system is still preserved. So, yeah, it, there's something there, but like agave, it dies for It, got, it yep. dies for us, you know. Um.
2: And um, so, it, for me, I, you know, I think it's extremely important that we're asking the right questions, yeah. right? You know, I, I encourage, I always say to people when I'm doing trainings and I'm talking to consumers, I'm like, I'm not expecting you to only drink Del Maguey. I'm not yeah, expecting yeah. you to only have Del Maguey in your back bar. But I, what I do expect of you is to ask good questions about the brands that you're looking at and that you're mm-hmm. choosing, you know, are you using mature agave are you replanting? How, what like what are your plans for sustainability? Yeah. What do you do with your wastewater, you know? What, what you know, and your What buck-house. is the main
1: the main uh, peril or rather the main danger of of wastewater? What what typically like so you so you uh, let's say you have a spent ferment or something, right? Out of this still, like and just you just toss it. Like that's detrimental to the
2: Um I, I we're still kind of unclear about what could happen in water sources. So yeah. do you want to take a chance about, you know, especially as the category grows, Right. Like, you know, there might be a limit to yeah. what an ecology can hold as far as wastewater is
1: sure. concerned. So, you're so saying, what is like, your plan it's to talk about? It yeah. And to plan for it. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Like think about it now, not 20 years from now, right. you know, um, what, you know, um, so plants, you've got waste, um, You know, all of those things you need to be asking about. What is your relationship with your producer? You know, are are you using the same producer? Are you buying from multiple producers and blending? Because maybe that means that some people you're only buying from once and they think they have a deal and then you're gone.
1: (laughs) It it is like, it's a very, very basic form of business. Because it's it's different. Man, it's so different in the States because you deal with these multinational conglomerates. Like you buy neutral spirit, you buy the Mm booze. They're, they've got four massive corporate distilleries and, like, you're going to always be able to get product and, yeah. like, you don't never think about that stuff. But but this is, like, introducing... There's this commodity now. There's now a market. There's now money. There's now people racing to bring this to yeah. market, you know? So that's... It's, it's a growing thing more than anything. It right?
2: is, and, you know, I think... You know, there's a couple. Of First of all, there was an article recently. There's like six different varieties of agave in Oaxaca that are currently endangered, really, from from harvesting
0: yeah. you know, oh, like,
2: shit. we have to think about that. You know, all right. And it's like when. And the other side of it is, I think that you have some people coming into the market um, who who want to be a part of the mezcal category who are looking to start a brand, but they don't. They haven't necessarily done the research yeah. about what the effects are of your practices mm. you know um and i think that's that that's a scary situation you know every time i'm in oaxaca i meet one or two people who are like oh i'm down here because i want to start a mezcal brand mm. and I'm, you know and if you do it the right way good good for you you know but i we
1: talk I, about market saturation though. that's a problem yeah. on this other end of it yeah exactly like you guys are fine because you have established the category and you've established yourself as the leader in the category there's a few trailing just behind you. But beyond that, it is completely saturating yeah. to the consumers. They don't yeah. know how to distinguish. Yeah, you know? exactly. So there's that problem. Man, there's that problem as yep. well. You know? yep. we're, we're fighting a really like a 2 front war in this whole.
2: it's thing. more than two fronts i feel like seven fronts let's
1: just call it seven fronts.
2: <laughs> i gotta work on my round kick
1: <laughs> it's a lot of goddamn fronts put it that way it's a, it's
2: a, it i mean the spirit itself when you drink it, is extremely complex yeah but the market and and the environment that the spirit is in is even more complex than the spirit oh itself my Gosh, yeah. you know and more so than any other distilled spirit out there
1: yeah so it's it you guys have really a amazing, amazing lineup and we've been able to try the barrio. Barrio Barrio, thank you. Um so wait, wait, when did you are you when did you start learning Spanish?
2: I knew zero Spanish on my first trip to Oaxaca.
0: Okay. Yeah, and my
1: Spanish so is still eh. it's better.
2: It's better, but it's, yeah, it's still better. not even close to there. <laughs> um but I, it's fun now when I go the last one of my last trips to Santo Domingo. One of the daughters came to me and she goes, "I remember when you didn't know any Spanish." <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, there you go. That's a win. It's a small victory, so to speak. Right? I you remember have- your first <laughs> visit.
2: You didn't know any Spanish.
1: <laughs> but you have like this amazing collection of things. We so we can always. Uh, expect maybe the wrong word, but we'll always see the Vida, which we should, right?
2: You'll always you'll always see the Vida, um, the original four villages, which are Santo Domingo Alvaradas, yeah. um Chichicapa, Monero, and San Luis del Rio. So
1: these are staple products. You'll yeah, always and, see the and the Pachuga
2: and the Habírico as well are oh, pretty, good, good, good. pretty solid, yeah. you know.
1: But then you talk about the... Tapestate. And Tobala. Tobala, okay, yeah. cool. So, yeah. So that's good. I mean, it's a great foundation for the line but then yeah. we were able to taste that but we were able to taste the, the madre Couché. Couché, mm-hmm. which is excellent as i'm sipping it now I've been, it's again like really i, I or, love this
2: do we have time for one more story yeah go ahead please. <laughs> this i i i love the. My madre did Couché. just won't run out
1: on the computer we can talk
2: about. <laughs> My, i love the madre cliche for a few reasons mm-hmm. but so um pasiano uh nalasco cruz is our palanquero and san luis del rio along with his san marcos and on my first trip to Oaxaca in 2009, Marcos had just come back from the States. Mm-hmm. And he was really missing the States and wanted to go back. And, you know, he was not so sure about working at the Palenque and mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And we had a large group of bartenders on that trip, an awesome gr- tr- group on that trip. It was like Jim Meehan and Phil Ward and Julio Bermejo was mm-hmm. on that trip. Just really cool group. And by the end of our visit to San Luis del Rio that day,
1: marcos was
2: like i think i want to be a palenquero." like our excitement about the spirit encouraged him to really think seriously wow. about being a palenquero. yeah and so I go fast forward a couple of years i get there on one trip and he has a batch of espadine and it was like the first batch that he had been in charge of That's from amazing, start to yeah. finish and so i i bought a couple bottles from him and I actually have them at my house oh cool that was about five years ago so I'm gonna take a bottle back to him on my next trip so he can taste it and see how far he's come as that's a amazing yeah so this he started playing around with the wild varietals. His father, Paciano, is an amazing farmer, uh-huh. and uh, you know loves working with Espadin and and Marcos really loves working with some of the other varietals. And so this Madre Quiche is all because of Marcos. Oh, that's amazing. And so I, I really I hold it holds a special place in my heart because that next generation is there. Whereas if he had stayed in the states or gone back to the states, yeah. he wouldn't have been there. And so. We just um, uh, built for him his own palenque right across the river, river from his dad. So they're oh, still working together, but he has his own spot with two stills. It's
1: so and, cute. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and so I mean he's still like hands on on yeah. oh, yeah. every single thing that's happening, but it's you know the investment in his future as well. And so I really love them. Every time I taste the madre cuiche, I'm like, you okay, I'm, him, I'm, you? yeah, I think of him and I think of the future. Yeah. You know, this isn't a product that's supposed to be just right now. It's a, you know, it's been around for several generations in each of these families, but it should be around for several generations more. Yeah. And that's why it's important to be asking all of those questions, whether it's about Gay or about other brands. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: it's amazing. You guys have managed to create such like a wonderful lineup of things. And if, what does the future hold? Do you guys see you're getting into, like, Habalee keeps hitting? Well, um,
2: so our immediate future holds a producer from Puebla. Oh,
1: wow.
2: Um, so our chemical engineer who works with us and handles all of our compliance issues mm-hmm. and everything for, not issues, but making sure that we're compliant. Um, his name is Arturo, and he's from Puebla. And so we're working with a producer from the village that he's from. Oh, wow. And we'll be releasing that this summer. Amazing. And it's beautiful. Um, so I'm really excited about
1: that. Is it a blind a single variety? Um, it's a,
2: uh, they call it papalote. Papalote, but oh, that's yeah. um But that, in that region, it's actually cupreata, which we would call tobala. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> so I'm already confused. Because I have <laughs> yeah. the papalome, the, the one that you guys.
2: Yeah, papalome, yeah, is cupreata. But yeah. papalote there papalote, is, okay. is potatorum, I'm sorry, potatorum. Oh, tobala. Which yeah, is what tobala. we would call tobala. So it's just... When you get different regions and different dialects and yeah. all of that kind of stuff, it gets really confusing. It's, um, but it's really, really beautiful. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, Marcos has been playing around with Mexicano oh, and Tobasiche. Yeah, um, our producer of Tobla has been playing around with Habali. Uh, and it's I hear delicious. it's very
0: difficult to work with.
2: Yeah, so it foams. Up. Yeah. It foams, yeah. And when you're... Um, uh, fermenting as well as when you're distilling.
1: Yeah. It's so strange. I wonder why. There's a couple things we could. Do. We have access, like Epsom salt, which is really. fun. Yeah. You could just like toss them a little bit. You know, <laughs> which is a natural thing. It's a natural thing with get rid of the foam, but it's it's amazing where this category is going to go, and what at simultaneously what is at risk. Mm-hmm. So we sit here and we enjoy wonderful mascot that has come from love and passion and really the vision of Ron as an artist trying to promote and promulgate other artists, which is really what this is about. It's about Mm -hmm. more, right? But at the same time, it's all, in a sense, threatened just a little bit every day, Mm -hmm. you know? And there are a lot of things. I'm so glad you were able to kind of expound upon it. There's so many things to be worried about. Yeah. And I'm not going to lose sleep over it, but I certainly want to be cognizant of how I can help. And yeah, it and I, th- like I, think it's,
2: ways. I think it's important as a consumer to make good decisions, yeah. you know, whether you're a bar owner and you're choosing what's on your back bar or you're going into your neighborhood liquor store, you know, it's, it, it's really important. We take so much care and thought about what we put in our bodies for food. Oh, yeah. Why don't we feel the same way about the spirits that Amen. we put in yeah. our bodies, you know, and, and so, and we're so concerned about the steps and the process and how people are taken care of in our food chain. Right. And it should be exactly the same when we're talking about spirits.
1: It should. And until people kind of elevate that narrative and think about spirits in the same way they think about great meals, mm-hmm. we got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Well, but it's, it's man, it's been, I mean, to have all these McGay bottles, these dumb McGay bottles on my floor. I'm just going <laughs> to after this is done i'm just gonna roll around a little bit that'd be the only time like it'll be the only time that i'll be able to like (laughs) esconce myself into mezcal like you know literally have bottles wobbling over me (laughs) but it's it's been a brilliant chat and thank you you know you didn't have to do this and i'm always so humbled when you everybody that has made such a wonderful impact in this industry and yourself misty specifically when in terms of agave like to come and chat you know i mean it was my pleasure it was a brilliant chat i really Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being the handler that you are. (laughs) Of (laughs)
0: course.
2: My designated driver.
0: Lovely gentleman.
1: Sip
2: it, don't shoot it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you.
1: Well, there we have it. Another great chat, this time with Misty Kalkovan from Adele McGay. I think and I hope there was a lot of elucidation surrounding Gnome 199 in this conversation. At least for me, the money aspect, which I should have known all along, it's always about the money. The money is at stake, and the money is influencing yet again with this piece of legislation, if I can call it that. So I'll let you make up your own mind about Misty's take on this threat essentially to agave spirits and mezcal, of course. But Gnome 199 is something that has some traction and does in fact pose an immediate threat to the state of agave spirits? Please again sign the petition. It's posted by the Tequila Interchange Project. There will be no shortage of links, so there will be no excuse to not sign the petition. And I know right now, such a weird time, politics feel really weird. It's like, are we going to have a president? Is anybody going to be able to agree on somebody? But, you know, it's kind of nice, and there's this bit of clarity because Mescal is unifying. We're not arguing about Mescal. We're trying to save it. We're at least all on the same team here. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter which bottle of Del Mague you are drinking or which songs you're listening to on the radio on your road trip to Dallas and then Houston. Please keep dancing.